Hello and welcome in as my name is Connor Riley. This is Connor in coverage tonight. We're going to be talking about the national champion Georgia Bulldogs, obviously recapping what happened on Tuesday night there in Indianapolis. I was on hand. I've been pumping out a bunch of stories. I'll have plenty of more to come in the days coming up. We've obviously got the parade on Saturday, though. It's not much of a parade. It's 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 actually fairly short. The route it is from Buttsmere to where the dog walk takes place down South Lumpkin Street. And if you know Athens geography, it is not necessarily as long as you would prefer a parade to be, especially if they're going to be speeding at the rate that, like, say, the Braves were through Atlanta. But you're going to have a celebration ceremony in Sanford Stadium at 2 p.m. It'll be streamed a lot of places. Dog Nation will have you covered there with tons of content as far as what's going on. A lot of news, a lot of stuff out there, both recapping Monday night, which we're going to get to in the second half of our show tonight, and then talking a little bit about where things go from here. 2022, obviously a lot of news coming out. Five Georgia players have entered the transfer portal since Monday. Uh, some coaching rumors, crewmers, if you will, are popping up this time of year, but we'll, we'll discuss it with a smile on our face because of what happened on Monday where Georgia – Comes back, doesn't play their A game, probably plays like a C-plus game, but in the fourth quarter when they absolutely had to be, they go down, they go touchdown, three and out, touchdown, pick six, sack Bryce Young to end the game. You could not script a better ending for Georgia there. You get the iconic plays from Adane Mitchell and Keely Ringo in there, and it's it's a night that Georgia fans are going to remember for a very long time, and I'm sure we'll have a great time discussing that tonight. Obviously, I'll be taking your comments and questions, thoughts about what comes next, what Monday meant to you guys. Obviously, meant a lot. You know, even I don't consider myself a true Georgia fan per se, but a lot of my good friends and family members are, and Monday night was a really special night because of what it all meant to them. Uh, you know, win or lose, I'm still going to cover Georgia football, you know, the same. It's just, it's a lot easier to tell fun and happy stories than it is uh, Georgia lost again. And, you know, there's some vindication that comes with Monday because I, I think this is a team that went through a lot and dealt with a lot of criticism. No one more than Stetson Bennett. And a lot of that criticism disappears now. Uh, you know, there's no more 1980 jokes. Those, do- those jokes are dead and gone. Uh, there's no more where well, you can't beat Alabama. There's no more now or never. A, a lot of the the ammunition that critics of Kirby Smart, critics of the Georgia football program, trolls in general had it, it is gone. And I don't exactly trust those people to come up with new and original material. So for right now, Georgia's on top of the college football world. But as we sort of transition here, a lot of that's going to change, and we've got some pretty good recent examples of just how difficult it is that next year after winning a national championship, you think back to LSU, you even think back to this Alabama team that was the repeat defending national champion, lost to Texas A&M this year, really struggled in games against LSU, Arkansas, and Auburn down the stretch, and you sort of look at it and, all right, how is Georgia going to handle this title defense? Because as a sports fan in general, I think one of the things I really appreciate about teams, about certain championship teams, is how they repeat and how they defend the title next year. You want to see them, you know, give it their all and have that sort of heart of a champion, to quote Rudy Tomjanovich, the former Houston Rockets coach, and show that, hey, what last year wasn't a fluke. It wasn't all the stars aligning. It's what this is what this Georgia program, this is what Georgia – under Kirby Smart has built going forward and how they handle all the change that is coming is going to be really interesting. Cause I'll be honest, it's going to look a lot like what LSU did in 2019 going into 2020. 
you even think back to Nick Saban after they won their first national title back in 2009. That next team, 2010, which had Julio Jones, had Heisman Trophy winner Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, Greg McElroy was back at quarterback again. A lot of really good players on that team. They went 10 and three that year, a lot, and had some had some losses that are pretty uncharacteristic and haven't happened in Alabama since then. So. It's going to be interesting to see how this Georgia team responds. We'll start with the transfer portal players because that's where the most concrete news is. Five players have entered the transfer portal, three of them defensive backs, two of them wide receivers. You have Latavius Brini who entered today, Amir Speed who entered as well. Both those guys are seniors and are going to use that extra year of eligibility to play elsewhere. And then you have redshirt freshman Jalen Kimber enter the transfer portal as well. And Kimber is a little bit different than, than – then Speed and Brini, you know, those were guys who started off the year playing. Obviously, Brini played later into the season, but by the end of the year, they had been replaced in the starting lineup. Keeler Ringo, who had the game-winning pick six, game-clinching pick six, uh, he he takes over for Speed after the fourth game of the season. Latavius Brini started 11 games for Georgia this year, but starting the SEC championship game against Alabama, William Poole emerged as the starting star there, and, and Brini was moved more to a reserve role for this team. I think I if I if I have my stats correctly here, I believe he did not play in either game against Alabama, at least from a defensive snap standpoint. And these guys, because of the COVID twenty twenty year, get an extra year of eligibility, and they're going to go make some team better. You know, Amir Speed was a very valuable special teams guy for this Georgia program. Uh, Bree was asked to step up this year and did for most of the season, made some big plays. You have the pass breakup against Clemson to sort of start the season there, so it's going to be very interesting. How many more guys enter the transfer portal? Because I can very much assure you, Georgia is not done at five. And you're going to see, again, last year, I think you saw 11 or maybe uh, I think either 10 or 11 guys from Georgia enter the transfer portal. You're probably going to see that number again, if not more. And that's just sort of the reality of college football these days. I think Alabama has had already six or seven guys enter the transfer portal since Monday as well. And they had a few guys enter after the end of the regular season. So the transfer portal, it's nothing to get scandalized over. And I can even give you an example from last year. Georgia lost guys from its defense that it wanted to have back. Think of how this defense would have been if it had Jermaine Johnson, the best defensive player in the ACC. Tyreek Stevenson, probably Miami's best defensive player. And Major Burns, who was a starting safety at LSU. Georgia would have loved to have had all three guys on this team this year. And they still went out, had the best defense in modern history, and won a national championship. So how Georgia deals with the ebbs and flows of the transfer portal, yeah, it's going to happen, and it's happening to every program out there. But as Georgia showed, just because you lose something out of the transfer portal doesn't mean you can't also take something back. Darian Kendrick was huge on Monday night, and I thought his veteran leadership that he brought to this team throughout the season really shone through at the end of the year in the biggest games there for Georgia. Obviously, Tyke Smith and Arik Gilbert didn't necessarily work out, but that's sort of the the issue with taking guys from the transfer portal. That's why Kirby smart wants to continue to develop his program from the high school ranks, uh, high recruiting rankings. And that showed up on, on Monday, you know, you look at some of the guys who made the big impactful plays. Uh, Keeler Ringo was a five-star prospect. Jalen Carter was a five-star prospect. Um, James Cook was a high four-star prospect. George Pickens was a five-star prospect. So you have a lot of guys in that game making plays and on the other side as well. And this speaks to the development aspect of it. Stetson Bennett was a former walk-on, and Adonai Mitchell was a three-star wide receiver who, who didn't play a senior season in high school. So Georgia can both take those really talented high school players and also can take some of those in the diamonds-in-the-rough type players and develop them 
into big time contributors. And so the transfer portal, it's going to dominate the news. George probably going to have two or three guys that it doesn't want to see in the transfer portal from their team. And the reality is George is going to be okay. Uh, for the most part, anyway, you know, they're going to lose a lot and this team's going to look very different next year than what we saw on Monday night. But that doesn't mean they're going to, they're going to have a, a stark fall off. Like I think you saw with LSU. I'd be very surprised if this Georgia team at, at worst wins fewer than 10 games next season, they're going to be favored in every regular season game. So again, this, this program, it might take a small step back, but it is so far ahead already of where just about every non-Alabama program is. And you could maybe throw Ohio State in there as well. But, you know, even with all Georgia sets to lose, and we'll get into some of the coaching changes that might potentially happen as well as NFL draft guys, you'd still rather be Georgia than Clemson today. And that speaks to what Kirby Smart did this year and what he has built in the years since. I think what Kirby Smart has done is build a more sustainable model than, than say, what Dabo has at Clemson. Because, you know, this is the first time that Dabo really had his coaching staff rated you know, Tony Elliott becomes the head coach at you uh, at Virginia. You have Brent Venables going to Oklahoma. You have a couple of other assistants leaving that program. His athletic director goes to Miami. There's a lot of turnover for a program that built itself on stability. Whereas I think if you look at Kirby Smart, he's already had to hire a defensive coordinator before. He found Dan Lanning, and that choose that that proved to be a great hire. A guy who really updated this Georgia defense and made it a lot more aggressive than what it was prior to him coming here. Offensive coordinator, he hired after after Jim Chaney leaves for Tennessee, he promotes the internal guy, Jim, James Coley. And after one year, he decides this isn't working. And he goes out and he brings in Todd Munkin. And that worked brilliantly. You know, Georgia, 38.7 points per game this uh, points per game this year for Georgia. So as we sort of transition here into the coaching rumors talk of the show tonight, obviously the report out there from Bruce Feldman that Todd Munkin could potentially be a candidate to head back to the NFL wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if that's the case. I think that was something we all sort of thought before the season was a possibility. And given the season that Georgia had given what Munkin got out of Stetson Bennett this year, that's sort of what you would expect. You think Joe Brady, a guy who is now currently unemployed, doing the same thing, going from LSU to being the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. But I, I would point out here with Munkin, he's seen what happened if you don't have great alignment and you're not in a great NFL situation in Tampa and in Cleveland there. And so he's probably going to look to go to a place that has maybe a little bit more stability, has a good quarterback situation, and he can afford to be picky. And Georgia, if he wants to stay, Georgia will gladly give him a hefty pay raise to make him one of the highest, if not the highest paid offensive coordinator in the sport, because he is certainly worth that. If he also wants to be an NFL head coach, which he could very well want to, and I think that's why he left Southern Miss for the NFL all those years ago. I, I think that's something to consider there as well. Todd Munkin's going to have options. I mean, that's that's the reality of any coach when you win a national championship. I think I would also mention here as well, Jamil Adai, the Georgia defensive backs coach, is a name that has been mentioned as possibly going elsewhere. And there's already seems to be a ready-made replacement. I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher his first name here. Traveris Robinson, the defensive backs coach at Miami, who has a connection with Will Muschamp. He was his defensive backs coach and defensive coordinator at South Carolina for the entire time that Muschamp was there. So if Georgia say a die takes a job elsewhere and wants a little bit more involvement in the defense, because let's be honest with Will Muschamp with Kirby smart, you're not, you're not having a louder voice than those two guys when it comes to defensive back play. Whereas I think with Robinson, there's a familiarity with Muschamp and he fits probably better schematically and culturally 
with what Georgia does here, a, a given you know his time with Will Muschamp and all that comes with that. Obviously, we're going to continue to monitor Cortez Hankton. He's a name that has been uh, rumbled, I would say, quite frequently with LSU. That is an opening at the wide receiver position. Hankton is from Louisiana. He has recruited the state of Louisiana, Louisiana very well for Georgia, and you could certainly see a world where he does end up as the wide receivers coach there under Brian Kelly and LSU, because that's a move again, you know, closer to home, probably going to get a pay raise as LSU has no problem shelling out money. And while some, because of the way Georgia has recruited wide receivers specifically in this last class, let's look at who caught the, the, uh, you know, Donnie Mitchell was a freshman who made that big catch uh, on Monday night. Lad McConkey had a very productive season for Georgia. So He's shown a very good job of developing wide receivers into key contributors, especially early on. So while you could possibly do better at wide receiver, coach with Cortez Hankton possibly moving on. And again, this is all rumored. Nothing has been reported. He has not signed a contract. This is all coaching rumors, speculation time of of the program here. But those are sort of the three names you monitor right now. Todd Munkin, Jamil Adai, Cortez Hankton as possible guys to go elsewhere. I will say if, if for example, Todd Munkin does go back to the NFL, which is the only Todd Munkin is not leaving for another college OC job. And there isn't currently a college head coaching job open. So I think, you know, he's only going to go back if he gets an NFL job and he's only probably going back to a stable NFL job. For example, he's not going to go be the offensive coordinator for the New York giants. Of course, watch me say that in two weeks from now, that's exactly what he is doing is they have to make uh, a, a general manager and head coach head coaching hire but he probably wants to work in a situation where he's playing with a good quarterback. He's playing with a good head coach, a good general manager, a very structured system in the NFL that allows for potential upward mobility. That's why he came to Georgia in the first place. He knew that Kirby smart was going to be here for a while. And because of that, he feels, you know, probably a little bit more bulletproof and that pays off with what I think Todd Munkin did this season. Lastly, touch on the NFL draft here. Again, I, Guys are going to make their own announcements coming over the next couple of days, and so and so forth. You think guys like Nicobe Dean are probably gone? Seniors such as you know James Cook has already announced, but Darian Kendrick, who's accepted a Senior Bowl invite, Channing Tindall, Quay Walker, those guys are probably gone. It'll be really interesting to see what Trayvon Walker and Nolan Smith do because those are guys who might seem like just from me knowing them personally, or not personally, but from covering them as closely as I have. It wouldn't surprise me if they decided they wanted to come back another year. And and I know with Nolan in particular, he's talked about leaving a legacy. And I think if he comes back, he could be your Jordan Davis face of the program. The, 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 and and Richard, the count was that before that guy who, you know, he may not necessarily be the most statistically dominant player or, or so and so forth. The best player. I think Nicobe Dean was that for Georgia this year, but the true spokesman of the program, the guy who represents so much of what Georgia is about. And Nolan Smith to me, fits that to a T and only had three and a half sacks this year, but he's also at times shown that he can make big plays, had two big tackles for loss in the national championship game. One of which came on that two point conversion after Alabama retook the lead. He had a sack to end the game there. You think back to the Florida game where he had an interception and a forced fumble. I thought Nolan Smith was great against Michigan. That's probably the best game that he's played as a Georgia Bulldog. And so if Nolan does elect to come back, that makes your, how you feel about this defense going forward, which is where most of the, the personnel losses are expected to come a whole lot better because you're bringing, there's still some talented pieces coming back. You have Jalen Carter, you have Keely Ringo who are our true cornerstones of your defense. I really like what Georgia has in its inside linebacker room. And so even though replacing Dean Quay Walker and Channing Tindall is going to be very difficult, 
man, Jamon Dumas Johnson, Shmuel Munden, and even Xavier Sori, depending on whether he plays outside linebacker or inside linebacker, which I think ties into what Nolan Smith ultimately decides to do. You've got some real talent there that's already on the roster that has gone through that has gone through the strength and conditioning program and, and is sort of ingrained in this this Georgia culture. Is your Sackhouse? I think made some really nice plays when he was called upon earlier in the year. They've got a very you know experienced defensive line, and you think Jalen Walker is certainly a game record. Can maybe one of those other guys develop? And let's point out as well, Georgia's bringing in five star Michael Williams, five star Marvin Jones Jr. And in the secondary, which again is going to have a lot of turnover, they've got three transfers already. There's a chance Lewis seeing Chris Smith also go to the NFL despite having remaining eligibility. There's a chance that the secondary for the second straight year is in a real interesting spot depth wise in how Kirby sort of navigates that. I would expect maybe now with all the transfers that we've seen there, even though signing five guys in this, uh, in the 2022 recruiting class, you still probably need some more bodies back there. And so I think for, if you're tying this all back into the transfer portal, once again, if I'm looking at possible additions going forward, I think wide receiver is a spot, obviously. I think defensive back is a spot, particularly safety, more so than cornerback. And I think depending on what Nolan Smith does, edge rusher is a position of concern again. And so it's going to be interesting to see how all that wraps up and ties up. But we're going to move off of 2022 news, and I realize I had the wrong lower third up for the entire time. But, hey, you know, it's I slept maybe about seven hours since Monday night. So moving on, uh, Monday's national championship game. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll probably open this up to your Q&A portion here uh, at this point. Let me take that down. We'll open up comments, thoughts, questions. Um. I thought it was a, it's a it's an undeniably great night for the University of Georgia, uh, you know specifically. And I saw, you know, a, a commenter mentioned this. I thought I've been, I, you know, I've been pretty fair to Stetson Bennett. I was extremely happy for him to him for and for him to have that moment. Uh, nervy, I, I think, fair to say, early on in that game for Georgia, but it weirdly felt like after he had that fumble turnover, which. Again, I'm not even sure how you make that call on the field in real time, though. They were consistently, I think, letting them play and doing that over the course of Monday night. After that fumble, he seemed to be like, all right, hey, I just had the fumble, the turnover that I can't have, and we're down five, and we get the ball back. And if I throw a touchdown pass on this drive, we're ahead. And that's exactly what he did. He threw the 40-yard bomb to Donnie Mitchell, probably the best pass that he will throw, or at least most important pass he will throw as a Georgia Bulldog. And then the final pass of the season for Georgia, it very fittingly, is a 15-yard touchdown pass to Brock Bowers. And, and so, you know, Stetson Bennett, after that fumble, four for four, I think 80 yards and two touchdowns, had the sort of response you want to see from a guy like that. And for him to have that moment for all that he's been through, for all the criticism that he has faced, I think it's a really cool moment. And regardless of whether or not he comes back or, you know, Monday night was his last game as a Bulldog. And you can read Jeff Sintel's story on, on sort of where Stetson might be feeling with that and how his family feels. Jeff talked to his dad. It was a great moment for, for Stetson in particular. I know it's something that, that had to feel very, very good for someone who has been through a lot in this time at Georgia. Um, other other storyline. I mean, this defense, I, I really don't know what else you can say. It, it was incredible all season. And while, yeah, 18 points maybe isn't what you want to give up, they gave up one touchdown in that game. Uh, they gave up two touchdowns in the college football playoffs, and one of those was when the second stringers were in there at the end of the Orange Bowl. And the touchdown they gave up against Alabama 
was on a short field after that turnover. They forced five Alabama field goals, and and sure you can give up yards, and and that's you know whatever. But this Georgia defense, when it absolutely needed to be at its best, was both in the red zone and in in when it was backed up against the uh, against their own end zone on Monday night, and just on Monday night as a whole, they got three sacks, they had two turnovers, they had the pick six. Uh, Nicobe Dean was flying around. Channing Tindall was flying around. You had Darian Kendrick, I thought, play a very solid game on the outside. And so for this defense to make that kind of final statement, you know, I don't even know the, the all-time great defenses, 21st century, I guess 2001 Miami, 2011 Alabama from statistical standpoint sort of match up with what Georgia's done. Maybe just once every 10 years you get you get an all-time defense and it looks like that happened to be Georgia this year. It was a dominant defensive line. I think it was really led by its inside linebackers, the guys that are flying around making all those plays. And in the secondary, while it was never the deepest, they were able to stay healthy at the end of the year and make enough plays. How about Chris Smith? Interceptions in games against Alabama and Clemson, you know, two of the premier programs in the last five years for Georgia. So for him to go out there and do that, uh, I, I think speaks to the talent that he has. Lewis Seen, who was the defensive MVP on Monday night, just flying around, knocking guys out left and right. And I thought his quote on Tuesday morning, I feel like I got hit by a train for, for more reasons than one. Uh, I, I think represented how a lot of Georgia fans felt there on that night. So you have that. You have obviously the Stetson Bennett aspect. Uh, Kirby Smart, and I wrote a story on this today. I think – it was really cool to see him fully appreciate and understand how much this national championship meant to everybody. And when I say everybody, I include Vince Dooley. I include Mark Richt, who was there on Monday night, Jim Donnan, who coached Kirby Smart, Ray Goff, who signed Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart, and this is one of the cool things about having an alumnus as your head coach, they, they have a very unique perspective to everything that this program has been through. He's either played for or worked with all of those coaches. And so for him to acknowledge that post game, you know, find Vince Dooley, share that emotional moment with him. I thought that was really cool, obviously. And this is one thing where I probably relate well to you guys. You know, my group chat was blowing up in the game, just stressful, uh, celebratory, so many different things. I had about 67 text messages within five minutes of the game ending while I'm trying to work and publish stories and throw stuff up on Instagram. Uh, from a Georgia fan perspective, and the quote that really sticks out to me is when you do it for the people in the room, that makes it all the more special. And, you know, the thing about, and yeah, I've made my, my, where I stand on this clear going forward and in the past as well. I, I, from a football standpoint, the NFL is just better than college football. But I think that quote I just gave, when you do it for the people in the room, it makes it more special. I think that sums up why college football is so great because so much of this sport, from the fandom aspect it is built on connections. It's built on relationships. Uh, my two roommates who are brothers were there on Monday night watching the game together. And that was a really cool moment. You know, I mentioned my group chat earlier, my freshman year roommate, uh, Nathan Puckett and I, we have to go get matching tattoos now because it was something we agreed to uh, a few months ago. You think of, you know, all the people that you have connections with. I know there were a lot of, you know, people with their dads, people with their moms, at the game on Monday night with their families, watching with their families. Uh, and, and I think that is what sort of makes college football and made Monday night so special. It was You weren't really just celebrating Georgia winning a national championship. You were celebrating that moment of happiness with all of your friends, with all your family, with all the people that you talk about Georgia football with. And to get that moment after so many years of heartbreak and so many years of coming up short, I think made – 
Monday night so incredibly special. And it's something, even if Georgia, and I do believe Georgia will win plenty of more championships under Kirby Smart, even when that happens, you know, because that was the first one, because it was against Alabama, because it was Kirby Smart beating Nick Saban for the first time, because of all that came into it, I think it's going to be something that is so much bigger and so much more impactful than everything else. You know, as a New England Patriots fan, which you can see right there, that's when they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. The second time, might I add, to me, like my favorite one, it's not them beating the Falcons or or that or either of the Rams ones. It's that one against Seattle where there was a little bit of time and there were some shortcomings and, and it was a very close game. It was one in the end with the Malcolm Butler interception. And, and so, you know, there are certain titles that carry more weight. And obviously this being the first one, when I do think Georgia wins more national championships in the future, it's going to be incredible but it won't quite match what Monday night was like. And it's because of people like you, people who are turning in asking questions and whatnot and what comes going forward. So with that in mind, talking about Monday night, talking about 2022, let's open up for some questions and see what you guys have to say. Obviously favorite parts of Monday night, um, questions about the 2022 team parade thoughts or anything you guys really want to talk about. Uh, let's, let's see. Yeah, Anthony Jones, uh, I'm assuming this is about Brock Vandergriff. The quarterback situation is going to be, to me, the most interesting thing that comes out of these next couple of weeks here and what happens. You have Stetson Bennett, who has a decision to make on whether he comes back or not. JT Daniels, it's worth noting, uh, he will probably have to graduate if he wants to transfer again without getting going through the waiver process with the NCAA. He is not set to graduate until until May. So you would think theoretically he'd stick around through spring practice. Obviously I think a lot of people want to see what Carson Beck and Brock Vandergriff do with more reps in practice. And really, you know, if St- even if Stetson comes back with JT Daniels potentially being there in the spring, and then obviously you wanting to see more from Vandergriff and Beck, it feels like it's going to be a wide open quarterback competition going into spring practice. And, you know, maybe a few guys take themselves out of that race beforehand, you know, possibly say Carson Beck transfers. You have a Stetson Bennett who decides to hang it up. Maybe JT Daniels decides to transfer or announce that he's entering the transfer portal before spring practice. I I, I do think how Brock Vandergriff is developed this spring is going to be very interesting because I have said, I think going forward into 2022, you know, despite what Stetson's done and if Stetson wants to come back, he's absolutely earned the right to do so. Uh, he loves football. That is very clear. It's very evident. You do not put up with some of the things that he put up with. If you're not going out, if you're not love going out there and playing, and if he wants to come back, he's certainly got a spot on this roster, I believe. And so how Brock Vandergriff develops is going to be one of the more interesting aspects going forward. Let's see. Uh, Marshall Colbert, I don't think Georgia's defense is going to be bad next year. It'll, it'll certainly take a step back. You can't have the greatest defense of all time two years in a row, but Jalen Carter's a difference maker. That guy's going to make a ton of plays next year. I think Keely Ringo's only going to continue to get better. Javon Dumas-Johnson, I'm telling you guys right now, he's not going to do what Kobe Dean did last year. Again, Kobe Dean was a great, you know, had one of the great defensive seasons in Georgia history and and very much lived up to, if not exceeded, the Roquan Smith mantle that he inherited. Jamon Dumas Johnson is going to go out and make a ton of plays next year and at least fill some of the void that Nakobe left behind. You know, whether or not Jamon ultimately develops into that kind of player, we'll see. But he's going to be a very, very good football player for Georgia next year. And look, they get Trayvon Walker back. They get Nolan Smith back. Uh, this defense is still going to cause a lot of problems for teams next season. And w- w- with Kirby Smart, with Will Muschamp, with Glenn Schumann, 
the defensive brain trust is too good for Georgia to take a sizable step back on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Corey Hillbrands, I, I realistic, I would say no. I, I believe Joe Brady has made his, his feelings on wanting to stay in the NFL, not really wanting, not loving, I would say, the recruiting lifestyle that comes with being in college all that much. But we've seen Kirby take big swings before when it comes to that offensive coordinator position with a guy like Todd Munkin. Uh, I still think right now, in the event that Todd Munkin leaves, which he is not yet, and he could very well still be the head, uh, the offensive coordinator, excuse me, at Georgia next season, I think Buster Faulkner is the name you guys need to know there. Former Parkview High School quarterback, uh, was teammates with John Stinchcomb way back in the day. Offensive coordinator at Southern Miss before accepting an analyst job at Georgia, which I find very interesting because going from an on-field coaching role at a group of five program, and granted, Southern Miss has been a little dysfunctional in recent years to taking an analyst job at Georgia. That's a little interesting to me. So, you know, you maybe wonder if they, if Georgia knew this timeline where Munkin was going to be here for two years and then probably look to leave. That's something, you know, that may have been in the works and planned for quite a while. And one thing I will say on this, you know, obviously you understand why people worry and freak out about Todd Munkin potentially leaving, but especially given that Dan Landing has left as well. But if we told you back in August that Georgia was going to win a national championship, you guys probably all would have thought, well, yeah, that makes sense that Munkin and Lanning are going to get poached for bigger and better jobs. That's just the reality that comes with living in this neighborhood in college football. So, you know, the way I always look at it, and it certainly it comes to, you know, players ending the draft, players ending the transfer portal, assume they're gone. Just assume they're leaving. You know, Trayvon Walker and Nolan Smith have – uh, decisions to make, and they're not alone. Lewis Seen is a guy. Uh, Kiaris Jackson is a guy. The easiest way to sort of deal with is assume they're going to leave. And then when they announce they're coming back, bang, you feel so much better. You're like, hey, we got one we didn't think we were going to get back. So uh, that's sort of the way that I sort of look at that and coaches and going forward and whatnot. Uh, BA's cardigan. Ah, I don't know if BA is going to want to want to get rid of that cardigan. You're going to have to, I can't convince him. You're going to have to do something for BA to get your hands on that car on that cardigan. Uh, Ken Caldwell. Yeah. So James cook off to the NFL. I would expect Zamir white to follow him as well. Kenny McIntosh, you know, he doesn't do one thing great. He's not the inside runner, which I think Zamir white deserves a ton of credit for how he ran, especially in the second half of that game on Monday night, picking up a lot of tough physical yards. He obviously, Kenny, doesn't have the shiftiness of James Cook, but he's about an eight in every single category and does everything well for this Georgia team. And so I think he's going to be a guy that sees a much more expanded role next season. And you're going to bring back Kendall Milton as well, who I think is going to form another interesting punch in, 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 you know, Kendall does have some better, you know, pass catching roles and opportunities than say Zamir did. But I think Kendall is also the type of the type of guy that is able to run up the middle and take some of those harder hits that maybe Kenny isn't necessarily quite as accustomed. Not saying he's not accustomed to doing so, but handling it as well as say Kendall does. Uh, yeah, Ryan M, uh, the, the, the chip six, as I am calling it, as many people are calling it, that's going to be the loudest cheer you get uh, at Sanford Stadium next year when Georgia opens against Sanford or even when they play it on Saturday in the stadium during the the celebration. Uh, that that play is going to be the most cheered, celebrated play for quite some time at Georgia, even if the Bulldogs do win another national championship. I don't know if there's anything that's going to top that Ringo pick six. That's a play that's going to be on the video board 60 years from now. Let's see. 
Um, yeah, Kevin Wood. George Pickens is another guy who has an NFL draft decision to make. It's going to be coming up within the next week or so. Again, like I sort of said a minute ago, assume he's gone. If he comes back, great. I thought for Pickens to do everything that he did this season to get back on the field, to make the play that he made on Monday night, having hauling in that 52-yard pass, drawing a pass interference penalty on Georgia's final drive, showed me everything that if I'm an NFL team that I need to see from this guy because he could have very easily checked out, could have very easily gone on to the NFL draft and say, I'm just going to start working and preparing for that. And he didn't. He stayed locked in. He rehabbed hard. He fought, and he got himself back into a role on this team. And you see the, the, the immense playmaking opportunities that he presents to offenses. And so I don't think he's going to be a first-round pick because you know, even with that knee injury, he's not going to test well in terms of speed. But this is a guy who's going to be taken on the second day of the NFL draft and is going to make an NFL team very, very happy. Uh, let's see. I really appreciate that uh, message, Kirby's Visor. That means a lot. Um, let's see. Uh, Randy Hall. Chess Chambliss is a guy that was really impressive to me this year. And I know he's not the five-star that, say, Michael Williams or Nolan Smith was or Marvin Jones Jr. is. That dude, similar to Jamon Jumas Johnson, every time he's on the field, he just makes plays. And obviously, you know, uh, gets the targeting foul at the end of the game against Michigan. But that dude's going to fight and claw, fight, fight and claw and scratch and find a way to get on the field for Georgia. And that dude just makes plays. So I think that's going to be really interesting. Uh, Travis McCullough, this is one of the, the bigger decisions that I'm personally following. Chris Smith obviously has another year of eligibility, can come back if he wants to, has the interception against Alabama there. We'll see if he chooses to pursue an NFL future. I think he can be an NFL player. But boy, if he comes back, that's a huge win for Georgia and given what they potentially possibly lose in the secondary. If I had to guess, I would say that Lewis Seen is probably off to the NFL given what he did on Monday night, given sort of, you know, he's mentioned in the past he has a daughter that he's doing this for and that's his sort of why he plays football and why he does what he does. So if Georgia's able to get Chris Smith back, that's a huge win for this Georgia program. Uh, let's skip ahead here. Uh, center point media. I would, I don't think Dan Mullen is going to do get hired at Georgia. Uh, Matthew chambers. I would say as far as Georgia getting guys from the transfer portal. And again, I could get proven wrong in the next week or so, but I would look for similar to what we saw last year. These are guys that are getting announced and added after spring practice. I think Georgia wants to see what it has in its young guys. Uh, you know, you think in the defensive backfield, how does David Daniel develop? How does Nyland Green, Kamari Lasseter, how do those guys develop this spring? And if Georgia likes what they see out of them, you know, maybe they don't feel the need to go out and get somebody from the transfer portal. And so I think that's sort of the way that Georgia wants to operate going forward. Now, if there's someone super duper talented that says, hey, I'm in the transfer portal, I want to come here, Georgia's obviously going to do their due diligence on them. But unless Georgia absolutely has to make a move for someone, I think they're going to prefer to wait to do so after spring practice. Let's see. Uh, Sonia Prescott. Man, I'd, I'd love to see Julian Rochester come back for a seventh year just for the funniness behind it. But I, and, I, and I hope I get a chance to write this story at some point in the next coming days. Uh, Kirby Smart talking about Julian Rochester was really cool. A guy who played a key role in that 2017 team. And, and Kirby talked about him crying in the locker room afterwards for all that Julian has been through, the multiple ACL tears, 
for him to come back and, and get that shot at redemption, even though he didn't play a huge role on this Georgia team. For him, Uncle Julian, as they call him, the oldest player on this Georgia team, a guy who was part of Kirby Smart's first signing class, for him to get to experience Monday night, you could tell meant a lot to the guys on this team. And I thought that was really cool that we got to sort of hear about that and, and what that meant. Let's see. Um, uh, Randy Hall, my favorite moment in Indy, uh, from where I was sitting in the press box, I had a dead-on straight view of Keely Ringo on the field in that final play. And I remember seeing it and seeing the ball sort of float up in the air. I'm like, for a, what felt like 10 seconds, I'm like, oh, he's underthrown this by like a lot. Oh, Keeley's in perfect position to get this. Oh my God, Georgia just won the national championship when Keeley secured that pick. And I said out loud in the press box, and I don't know how loud I had said it, but I know that I did. I was saying, get down, get down. Uh, much as Kirby Smart was saying uh, to Keeley in that moment. But, I, you know, in hindsight, I'm glad Keeley returned it because that's an all time great moment. That's something he, regardless of what he goes on to do in the NFL, and I do think he one day is going to play there is going to remember for the rest of his life. And it's something Georgia fans are going to remember for the rest of their life. You know, that's, that's the new Lindsey Scott play. Uh, you know, Lindsey Scott, an iconic Georgia name. Keely Ringo is now going to occupy that same space for Georgia. Uh, so let me, I want to, uh, beer cans and baddies an all time YouTube name. Uh, both are going to coach. If I had to guess, I think Schumann is probably the guy who, who takes in on a larger on-field role for Georgia in, in terms of you know being the guy next to Kirby signaling in the play calls. I, I think this is a guy who, again, has been on Kirby's staff since the 2016 season when Smart first got here. I think that's you know the natural progression of things. Schumann's only 31 years old, but I think like you saw Dan Lanning do this year, he's bound to be a, a college football coach somewhere else soon. And so I, I think you're going to see him continue to elevate within this Georgia program. Let's see. Yeah, I, I I do see this comment, and I didn't get a chance to watch the coach's feed, but James Coley was in, was in the room there for Texas A&M. I would have loved to have uh, gotten some of his insights on this team, given his connection to the University of Georgia. Let's see. Let's keep scrolling. Um, Da-da-da-da. Let's go to the bottom. A lot of comments. You guys are doing a great job, Aspen. We'll go. We'll go as long as we can tonight. Uh, yeah, Ryan M. And I think this personifies both what this defense is about and what Nakobe Dean is about as a person. Is you know everyone saw him chewing chewing out Channing Tindall because Tindall it appeared to be looking into the backfield and got Nakobe's way a little bit. He still broke up what would have been a touchdown pass, and and I think Nakobe says to him, "Hey, you got to lock in Channing." He does that. Channing comes out, makes the sack, big sack there for Georgia. Uh, the first time that they had sacked Bryce Young and the two times that they had played him and forces an Alabama field goal there. So, you know, that sort of, to me, is a play that, that along with Trayvon Walker running down uh, Alabama wide receiver Ajay Hall to prevent a touchdown. Those are sort of the two plays. Obviously, the Ringo one is so special and is on a whole different plane, but those are the two plays where years from now, that's what I'm going to think of in this Georgia defense. The accountability, the leadership, the straining, because obviously all these guys are talented, but you know, Florida signed top 10 classes and went 6-6 six and six this season. 
for a guy like Trayvon Walker, an NFL, def- a guy who's going to play defensive end in the NFL at 6'6", 275 pounds, for him to haul behind downfield and, and take down a Jai Hall and, and prevent what I think was going to be a touchdown, because if you go back and watch it, Hall had a blocker in, in a lane if he's able to get there. But credit to Trayvon Walker on that play. Credit to N'Kobe Dean, the leadership that he showed all season, I, I think sort of exemplifies what this defense was all about. Let's see. Uh, Darius Parker. I, I'll say this. I don't think Georgia should go after Caleb Williams. And Caleb Williams is a fantastic quarterback. He's going to be, I believe, one day number one pick in the NFL draft. I think Georgia has to find out what it has in Brock Vandergriff, a guy I've said this about before. I like a lot. I like his ceiling. I like his upside. Uh, I think you know, with all the quarterback ups and downs that we've had that Georgia has had in recent years, they got to find out what they have in Brock. And you could say the same for Carson Beck as well. But I think obviously for, for a variety of reasons, they have maybe a little bit more potentially invested in Brock Vandergriff. And you could say the same about Gunnar Stockton here as well. But I don't turn away possibly Brock Vandergriff and then obviously Carson Beck as well to bring in Caleb Williams. And I could come to regret that one day. I understand that. But I, for right now, I roll with what Georgia has in its own quarterback room. Uh, Senyo G, yes. Uh, Jalen Carter is going to be the best player on Georgia's team next year. That guy is a monster. Um, he is a guy you take, you know, I don't want to compare him to Aaron Donald because that is so incredibly unfair. He does Aaron Donald type things. His physicality is just outrageous for, and his athleticism for a guy his size. I mean, he single-handedly blocked that, that field goal on Monday night. And I thought that really changed the game there because that drive for Alabama, you felt it in the stadium the momentum really shifting in real time. George is able to force that field goal, which was huge. And then for Carter to block it, I think really was like, Hey, we're, we're going punch for punch with Alabama. Now let's throw one of our own. James cook comes down 67 yard run on the next play. Zamir white with Jalen Carter lead blocking for him comes in and, and, and takes George's first lead of the night. I thought that sequence there from Jalen Carter, which is why it was one of the first stories I wrote was very emblematic of, of what this Georgia team is. Let's see. Yeah, Matt Rugavina. Uh, this is a great point. Uh, you know, every every national, and this is something you know, Alabama fans they want to bring up Jameson Williams and John Mechie. Let them. Georgia had injuries this year too. Uh, Alabama won their first title when Colt McCoy got hurt on the opening drive of the game. And specifically, we go back to the to me the lucky bounce for Georgia in that game. Obviously, you know, and you hope Jameson Williams gets healthy because he's a tremendous player. You think back to before the play before that blocked field goal that Carter had. Bryce Young just made an outrageous throw with with guy with with I believe Channing Tindall bearing down on him, going to hit him, makes an outrageous outrageous throw to a Jai Hall that would have set set up Alabama inside the ten yard line, and the ball just goes through Hall's hands, and you know John Metzi probably makes that catch, Jameson Williams probably makes that catch, and in that moment. Georgia finally seemed to catch a big break against Alabama and, and Georgia made them pay with that. Uh, obviously you could point out there as well. The, the, the fumble play that Stetson Bennett had was a break that went against Georgia because of course it did. And, and again, you know, I understand why the ref said stands. I just don't know how you made that call in real time on the field when at best it is a complete wild guess that a, that was a fumble and B that Brian branch caught that in bounds. Um, let's see. Uh, Randy Hall. So 
a week ago, I would have said Malachi Starks. Uh, and I think he's a guy who's got a potential to play early next year, given you know Georgia's need in the defensive backfield, specifically at the star position. But after seeing what Michael Williams did down in San Antonio and, and hearing what he did and how he played all week, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if that guy finds a way on the field, especially let's say Trayvon Walker does leave. You know, Michael Williams is going to be Trayvon Walker right away, but that's the sort of ceiling and upside he has. Uh, that was a guy who impressed a lot of people in San Antonio last week. And because of that, he's probably going to end up as a top 10 player in this recruiting class and, and is someone that I think is going to be a very, very good player for Georgia sooner rather than later. Brandon Dawson, yes. I want to give love to Georgia's special teams here. I thought Jake Camarda did a great job early on in that game for Georgia with some big punts, flipping the field, uh, forcing Alabama to have to drive longer. And, you know, that was probably his last game on 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 Monday night, and he deserves a ton of credit for that. And and Jack Podlesny, a guy who missed, you know, not as many field goals this year as people think, but every time Podlesny seemed to miss one, it, it felt like a national event within the Georgia fan base, obviously. Makes both field goals. I think one of them was about 47 yards, a pretty impressive length there. So great night from Georgia special teams when it needed to be, and it made a big difference. And you think back, you have the block field goal from Jalen Carter that really swings the game there. So Georgia special teams, something Kirby Smart very much stresses, had a huge impact on Monday night's game. Uh, seeing a lot of rumors out there, you know, and that's that's natural this time of year and, and with all the transfer portal stuff and what's going on. David Boder, yes, 40, 49 yards from, from Jack Podlesny. Very impressive. Uh, James Leonard Brown, this might be the last comment I take tonight unless I see a really good one while I'm discussing it. Uh, the move to put Broderick Jones in at left tackle, and really the move was to move Jamari Sawyer from left tackle to right guard. That really opened things up for the Georgia offense. I wrote about it on Wednesday. That's the sort of in-game adjustment that that winning teams, that national championship winning teams make. And and Jamari was great against Michigan, and Georgia probably could have left him out there at left tackle and would have been fine, but they made the move for him to put him at right guard. Georgia ran the ball much, much better after that play. Nine yards per carry after Jamari moved to right guard. Only 2.1 beforehand. And so with that in mind, I thought the offensive line, the adjustment that Matt Luke played, I think that very much played into Georgia turning the game and really finding success on the offensive side of the ball as that game went along. And, you know, we talk about the defense taking a step back, and that's probably reality. I think this offensive line can be better next year. You're going to get Tate Ratledge back. And even though you lose guys in Jamari Sawyer and Justin Schaefer, who were great players for you and multi-year starters, Roger Jones is going to be just fine at left tackle. You know, that, that's not a big downgrade in my opinion, you bring back Warren McClendon, who is about as rock solid as a pass blocking offensive tackles you have. You've got options there at that right guard spot, whether it be say, hey, let's move Amarius Mims in there, get some real size. Uh, what do they do with Xavier Trust? Dylan Fairchild, Michael Morris, two 2021 signees. What do you do with them? Do they potentially make a move there at guard? You have Cedric Von Prahn coming back as your starting center. That offensive line, which statistically had a good year, but I don't think was ever really a strength for Georgia. I think could be next year for the Bulldogs with what they bring back. Uh, so, you know, yeah, David Bader brings it up, and I agree. I think Georgia's offensive line, much like it was, saying in 2018, is going to be a real strength for this team. And, and again, you know, they land Ernest Green in this class. They signed some really strong players in the 2021 class. I think this offensive line is well-positioned to be a difference maker for Georgia next year and maybe perhaps a way that it wasn't uh in 2021 and so you know naturally this being my show 
we're, we're probably going to end it right there talking about the offensive line. Uh, they deserve credit for what they did. I thought the play that they made in the second half and how well they played, I thought really turned the game for Georgia. And, and that's an Alabama pass rush. Dallas Turner's an NFL player. Uh, Will Anderson is an NFL player. And the fact that they get both those guys back next year is why, along with Bryce Young, they're the obvious favorite. But uh, that's going to wrap it up for probably us talking about the 2021 season. It has been an incredible ride. A uh, lot of fun, a lot of success. Obviously, you have the Alabama game and all the ups and downs that came out of that. But it was an absolute joy getting to talk about and cover this team. We're going to go celebrate them one more time on Monday or on Saturday. Excuse me. I don't even know what day it is anymore. I'm very much sleep deprived. Like I'm sure most of you are, but we're going to go celebrate that Georgia team one more time on, on Saturday. And next Tuesday, when we're back, we're going to move on. And I, we're doing this on a Thursday, a little bit of a schedule change. I think it back to about 1130 on Tuesday night. Uh, closing message, closing remark here. Thank you guys so much for all that you've done for dog nation for tuning in. I know I'm no Jeff Santel or Brandon Adams or Mike Griffith, but I really appreciate you get, Appreciate you guys tuning in, talking Georgia football, answering your questions. Uh, it's been a ton of fun. I'm so thrilled and glad we get to do this, and we're going to keep doing it in the offseason. There is no sleep here. There is no offseason, at least on Connor and coverage. And so we're going to start ramping up 2022 talk, diving in and recruiting trends, where Georgia goes going forward, coaching rumors. We're going to have it all because before you know it, September 3rd, when Georgia opens against Dan Lanning in Oregon in Atlanta, it's going to be here before you know it. But Seriously, thank you guys so much. You make this enjoyable. You make it tolerable. Enjoy Monday. Enjoy the championship parade on Saturday. Dog Nation is going to be on hand. My name is Connor Riley. For Dog Nation, this has been Connor in Coverage.